Well, good morning, everyone. You're tuned to Community Radio 3CR. Time is just after 7.30, and you're listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. My name's Pam Vardy. First up, of course, we have to welcome back Stephen Ryan from Dixonia Rare Plants. Good morning. Good morning, Pam, and good morning, everybody out there. And It's going to be a nice day. It is. Yes. Yesterday was lovely. Yeah, yeah we've had some amazing weather. Um, what was it? Somebody on the ABC called it a mild wave. <laughs> okay. <laughs> which, which I actually quite liked. I thought that was quite fun. Um, but we have. We've had this really lovely mild weather. Uh, it doesn't necessarily help, help ripen tomatoes, but it's, um, it's great in every other respect. doesn't actually water the garden and it's very no, dry. It is dry. It is dry. Really dry. It desperately needs some rain. It does. Uh, so let's hope there's some in the not too distant future. Mm. Um, uh, I mean, we did get a couple of good summer storms, which took the pressure off a wee bit, but yes, things are getting dry again. But if we get a storm, you get this dump of water, uh, and half of which runs off yeah. the surface. Yeah, we, need we, we need gentle yeah, soaking gentle rain. Gentle rain uh, and, and, and gaps so that yes. it gets a chance. That'd be nice. Yes, but we can't have everything we want in life, I know. apparently. I know. But, yeah, there you go. What can you yes. Do? Well, my, my indicator plants, which are my hydrangeas, yeah. even though they're on the south side of, of the house, they soon tell me, and they've been telling me it's very dry yes. at the moment. <laughs> oh dear, poor things. Yes. yes, yes, you wouldn't want to be a hydrangea, really, would you? No, <laughs> terrible existence. <laughs> yes, very hard. Blooming life, one minute and <laughs> drooping the next. Oh uh, dear. <laughs> Never mind. Okay, we must say good morning to Penny Woodward. Hi, Penny. Good morning, Pam. Morning, listeners. It's very nice to be here again. It's sort of Happy New Year as well. It is. You, you can't say it in February, really. Can you? <laughs> Well, you, you can. can. When we're yeah. not around in January, I think yeah. you can. Okay. Yes, you get dispensation <laughs> for that. <laughs> and I agree, my garden's so dry. Mm. And it's, uh, you know, you, uh, I think gardens sometimes react to what their gardeners are doing. And I feel dry all the time because my mm. garden's dry. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I sort of yes. walk out there and you, yeah. Anyway. Yeah, sympathy. It's yeah, a sympathy in, thing. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yes, with your garden. Yeah. Well, it means you're in tune with your environment. Well, I suppose so. Well, yes. I, w- I worry about it. I have to don't not doing as much watering as I should be, and maybe losing the odd thing because I'm not. But then it ge- that gives me when the weather breaks, it means I can go out there and think, yes, I can plant <laughs> some more things. <laughs> <I've got> a <laughs> gap. <laughs> yeah, it's a gap. They're always great. Oh, they are, aren't they? Oh, dearie me. Well, Penny, you've been really busy because I know you were at a garlic festival yesterday. I was, yes. It was a, it was such a good day. Last, last day was the first one last year. This is at Manian in, in Gippsland. And um, an amazing group of volunteers who pulled the whole thing together. The, the main people, the main person in charge is David Jones, who's Merbu, he and his wife Kirsten are Merbu Garlic. And they decided that we needed a Garlic Festival in Victoria, and they thought, well, why don't we organise it here in our little town? Good on them. And um, and the whole town is overtaken by garlic. They have garlic statues mm. and garlic scarecrows <laughs> and garlic races and... Garlic ice cream. Garlic <laughs> ice cream and garlic <laughs> vodka and garlic beer and... <laughs> And, and they had three, I think it was three ton, tons of garlic for oh, sale. Goodness, in the, goodness in the, me. Because last year they actually ran out of garlic by early in the afternoon. Cause right. Because there weren't enough growers there. This time they had, I think, 14 or 15 growers. And okay. they all brought more than enough garlic. And um, it, it was just, it, and the, but there was so much else happening. And they ran, I ran the Garlic Institute. So we, as part of the AGIA, the Australian Garlic Industry Association, we had talks all through the day in the Menian Hall, which is this most amazing hall that seats, I don't know, a couple of hundred people. 
and um, it was packed for all the speakers. Wow. So, you know, all these people wanting to learn about garlic. That's and, fantastic. And I did two talks, and then I was outside on the table, and we were doing garlic taste testing. And um, I've got posters and stuff like that as well. And we were just talking to people about garlic and selling a few books. And my daughter Ellen came along and she was amazing because she's just so good at talking. She doesn't know. She now knows more about garlic than she used to. I'm sure she does. (laughs) She she knows what the common questions are and she has the answers to those. And anything more complicated, she refers it off to me or to someone else. Yep. So it was a it was a really good day, but gee, it was busy. Mm. I mean, we we actually drove up the night before, and um, but we were there setting up at seven o'clock, and um, and we got home at about eight o'clock last night, um, and then um, we went out to White Night just to make it an even longer day. <laughs> well, all I can say is you're crazy. How you keep your eyes open? It's been going for quite a few years now, and I just thought I'm in the city. I could just go in and have a look. Yep. And it was pretty amazing. I was just saying to Stephen before, what the, the, look, the displays were wonderful, but the thing I loved about it was the whole inner city was closed to carts so that you could walk everywhere. Mm. Uh, all the way out past the art gallery was closed to carts. No cars, no trams, no nothing going through. So it was a huge pedestrian precinct. And it was so lovely to get the views of the buildings and, you know, even if they weren't lit up with yes, stuff. Right. I just had a totally different perspective on the city. Okay. So I was just glad that I did it for that. But we did go into the display in the, in the um, reading room in the library and that was stunning. It was just superb, the lights going around on the, do- on the dome. Yeah. On the, on okay. The dome. But we had to queue for 30 minutes before we got in. Oh, well. But it was a very it was a very amiable queue. Everyone was chatting to each other, and you know everybody else was walking past, and it was it was fun. Okay, for someone who doesn't spend much time in the city. Yep, I really enjoyed it. Well, I have to confess, I still haven't made it to no. White Nights because no, I've I. got to be up early for yeah. this every yeah. Sunday, and it's just not on my radar. I'm yeah. afraid. <laughs> But I, I think my youngest daughter was uh, heading in there, and yeah. she's been for the last couple of years and loves it. So, yeah. and it, but it, yeah, look, the garlic festival was terrific, and I hope they do it again next year. And and um, next week I'm going to Tassie for the Cunha Garlic Festival, which is held on the Tasman Peninsula. And that's been run for a couple of years that's now, hasn't more it? More like six years. Yes, yes. right. Yeah. Oh, so each good. year they, I think the committee who runs it get so exhausted that they all decide not to do it again. <laughs> and then they weaken. And they well, no, a few other people come in and say, oh, well, we could help. And, yeah. and, then, and, then, and then they, they, they pull it together. And, and right. It's a, it'll, it'll be, they, they um, last year at Mania and they got about 6,000. I would think that they would have been 10 to 12,000 there yesterday. Um, Cunha generally gets around the five or 6,000. To it. Mm. So it's a lot of people interested in garlic. Which yes. Is great. But how yeah. great for the organisers, um, particularly with Menian, yeah. first time up, um, yeah. to get such a response. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Look, David um, is, he is involved in fundraising for hospitals. He's done that. So he knows how to sell something. Okay. <laughs> so in, in the best possible way. But the yes. thing I love about Menian is that there are about 150 volunteers involved from Menian. So the whole town I was going to say, that must be nearly the whole town, yeah. isn't and it? And every, every shop is involved and yeah. everybody's taking part in some wow. way. And it was just, you know, it was really huge. Yeah. I, we were so busy that I only got sort of 15, 20 minutes to run down to the main park because it's all based around the Oval. Um, but And the rest of the time I was in the town, in, mm. the, in the town hall. So. Yep. Yeah, but it was good. Fantastic. Yes. Oh, wonderful. 
Okay, I'm going to get straight to a, a couple of community announcements. We actually don't have many. We seem to have a bit of a lull in yeah. um, in happenings at the moment or certainly in anything that I've been notified about. But, however, um, I will at least mention what's on. Uh, now, firstly, coming up, 24th and 25th of uh, February, there are two shows on. The first is the Melbourne Begonia Society. Now, this is... Uh, taking place at the NG Wishart Senior Citizens Hall. It's at 964 Nepean Highway in Moorabbin. Melway's reference there is 77D6. Uh, now, on the Saturday, it's 10 till 4. On the Sunday, it's 10 till 3. There'll be display and sales of begonias, many varieties only available at the show. Entry is $3. There'll also be a Devonshire tea and a sausage sizzle. Now, on that same weekend, there will also be the State Dahlia Show. Uh, on the Saturday, 12.30 till 5, on the Sunday, 10 till 3.30. And this one is being held at the Mount Waverley Youth Centre, which is, I've discovered, Stephen, that it is uh, not the Mount Waverley Community ah, Centre. So it is a different facility. Yes, it's, this one's at 43 Miller Crescent, and the Community Centre is 47 so it must be more or less next door. More or less next yeah. door, mm. yes. But it's still opposite the Mount Waverley Railway Station. Yeah, so, you so you can go still in by find train. It. Yes, yep. exactly. Yep. So admission for this one is uh, $5, pension is $2, children are free. There will, of course, be a fabulous display of dahlias. There'll be cut flower sales, plant sales, Devonshire teas. There'll be a kids' corner with activities involving dahlias. There'll be a photographic exhibit and, uh, of course, there'll be expert dahlia growers on hand to give advice. Now, uh, the other ones I have are all coming up in March, but uh, so I will give you a little bit of advance notice on these one. First up, coming up on 10th and 11th of March, is the Fernie Creek Plant Collectors Sale. Now, this, of course, is taking place up at 100 Hilton Road in Sassafras, uh, there'll be rare plants, tools and books, botanical art, guided garden walks, free on-site parking, refreshments and lunch. So that's 10th and 11th of March. I will, of course, be uh, reminding you of these um, as we get closer to time. Uh, also, uh, diggers are having their Heronswood Harvest, Harvest Festival that same weekend, 10th and 11th of March. They'll be celebrating homegrown harvest at Heronswood. Um, you'll be inspired to grow your own uh, when you visit the stunning setting of the historic house and gardens. Uh, the times uh, will be 9 till 5 on both days. The address there is 105 Latrobe Parade in Dramana. And uh, entry, uh, Diggers Club members and under-16s are free. Visitors, $10.00. Uh, now, the other two I have to mention, these are also in March. Um, firstly, Saturday the 17th of March will be the 97th annual show of the Sunshine Golden Age Garden Club. So I think that's fantastic. That's pretty wow. good going. Hold in there for three more years. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, that's, that's doing really well. It's going to be held at the Glengala Community Hall. This is on the corner of Simi Street and Glengala Road in Sunshine. Melway's map is 40E2. 
Uh, it's going to feature displays of dahlias, roses, floral art, hardy cuts, pot plants, vegetables, cookery, arts and crafts, children's section, photography, displays by local schools, garden items of interest and a plant stall. Uh, so the whole thing will run from 11am through to 4pm, so it's only the one day, Saturday 17th of March, but it should be wonderful. And the best part of all, admission is free for that one, and there is afternoon tea available. And finally, uh, also for the diary, this also is coming up in March, Saturday 17th and 18th of March, will be the Renaissance Herbs, Herb and Chili Festival for 2018. Uh, that is going to run 10 till 5 on both days. The address is 125 Quail Road in Wandon. It's just off the Warburton Highway. Uh, tickets, you can purchase tickets online or at the gate on the day. Parking is free and on site. Now, you've been involved with this one I before, have, not Penny. For, not for a couple of years mm. now. No. <clears throat> but, um, yeah, it's been. it's a great day. It's a really good day and people go along and... There are sort of chili eating competitions and stuff. And like which that. is so <laughs> too oh. horrendous to consider, really. Yes, <laughs> all those macho butch guys. You turn very red that. in the face yeah. and the <laughs> eyes start watering. Yeah, look, there, are, there are those, but there are also people who turn up in costumes. Oh, okay. So it, it appeals to a particular group of people who. Um, get dressed up in sort of themed costumes and there's a two so version, all, I can't remember it. They all <laughs> arrive looking like garlic or chilies no, or something. No, <laughs> uh, it's more sort of period type, almost period type oh. dressing. And they, but anyway, so it, it's a funny juxtaposition of the, mm. of the motorbike riders who want to eat the chilies and, the, <laughs> and these people who come all dressed up and people who are interested in herbs and and it's a really nice day, and I and I think they do a really good job of it. So, okay. Yeah, I I went I was there a couple of times and talking about herbs and and um, and then I was there representing the Garlic Industry Association, and I've just found that one more thing in March is just one too many for me. <laughs> and yes, that is fair over enough. The last couple of years, I've said no. So because we've also got Mifkids coming. I up. was going to say that's one thing we haven't mentioned, of course. And as yeah. I drove past um, the exhibition buildings this morning, I noted that there's sort of some are they market. starting to set up? It looks like it. No, that was to do with white night. Oh, was that oh right, 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 of course. Huge yeah. light shows all over the exhibition oh, building. Of course, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah I saw really, all this stuff, and I thought, really oh, they must be getting. Set up no. Already. No, no, it's usually only yeah. about a week before yeah. I think they're allowed in. 21st to the 25th. Yes. So, and Organic Garden is going to be there again, and Good. I'm there all five days. So, come oh. and say hello. <laughs> <laughs> Looks like your life is not getting any quieter well, for a while. Well, end of March. End, end of March. I think you and I will both take a breather at the end of March. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, well, it's, it's time we invited our guests to join us. If you'd like to ask a gardening question this morning, we'd love to hear from you. We we have Stephen Ryan from Dixonia Rare Plants. We have Penny Woodward, who's um, an author, a horticulturist. Um, she's a, a fantastic writer on, on herbs. She's on the garlic board. Lots of things to, uh, to discuss. Do give us a call. That number is 94190155. That's 94190155. Stephen, we might as well start with one of your plants. All right, why don't we do that? Um, doesn't matter in what order, I suppose. No. So I'll start with this one. Uh, <clears throat> this is a shrub from China called a heptacodium. And heptacodiums are in the same family as abelias. So okay. that might give people sort of a bit of a sense. Heptacodium was <clears throat> discovered quite some 
you know, decades ago, but it only came into horticulture in the West in about 1985. So it's a comparative newcomer yep. um, to horticulture. It's a late summer flowering shrub, which I think is always very useful. Um, it is slightly scented. Uh, it has tiny white flowers in clusters, and the clusters are always of seven or at least nearly always of seven. Um, That's a lucky number. (coughs) Yes, well, apparently it's quite auspicious because in China they call it the seven sons of something or another. Okay. Um, And um, so, but it's, it's... got other strings to its bow. It's not just its little white flowers in, in late summer. It's a bit like the New, New South Wales Christmas bush because when the flowers drop out, the calyxes get bigger and they colour. And so the calyx from behind the flower goes a really quite pretty sort of deep corally pink. Uh, and they hang around for ages and ages and ages. The foliage before it sheds, it is a deciduous shrub, the foliage before it sheds goes a very nice clear light yellow. And it's a shrub with delusions of grandeur. It gets quite big. Uh, the one I've got in the garden at the nursery must be about five metres tall now. So uh, it's quite a big shrub, and it's got big, thick stems on it. And the stems have got really pretty, peely, strappy, sort of buffy white bark, uh, which is quite lovely. Mm. So you've got nice bark, you've got attractive autumn foliage, you've got summer flowers, you've got pretty calyxes after the flowers drop out. So... It's probably not going to be one of those things that's going to blow everybody's socks off, but it's just a really attractive and useful plant. It seems to be pretty tough. Um, I don't think it's any harder to grow than an abelia, so, uh, and they're almost ubiquitous. So, uh, uh, so it's called Heptacodium myconioides. Um, and it's already had one name change since it was uh, first described. It was Heptacodium jasminoides, which was actually quite a good name for it, I thought. But anyhow. Because it has the scent. Yeah, it's it. got a scent. Yeah. It's got little white flowers. Yeah. So there was this sort of yeah. connection. Um, not quite sure what myconioides means, but anyhow. No, uh, I was wondering that. Yeah, so it's a really, really pretty shrub. Uh, but do allow it some space because it is quite large. And because its stems at the base are quite handsome, you don't necessarily want to keep it trimmed back and really bushy. You actually want to trunk it up a bit and make it into a little Yep. So it won't be a single trunk thing. It'll have multiple trunks like most shrubs do, mm. uh, and that just adds to the amount of bark you get, I guess. Uh, so I think the heptacodium is a really attractive and interesting plant. I suppose I should spell heptacodium for anybody out there who wants to look it up, do a bit of a Google search or whatever. Uh, it's H-E-P-T-A-C-O-D-I-U-M, and as far as I'm aware, there's only the one species in the genus. Mm. So. Okay. It's a really, really interesting little shrub. So heptacodium, or big shrub. Um, and I guess the other thing that I might talk about uh, before we have anybody ringing in, hopefully, um, is something from another part of the world altogether, <coughs> and it's a native of the Canary Islands. And like many island floras, um, things get out of hand when they start to genetically change in in an island flora and you often get sort of giant versions of things that show up on islands. Now to all intents and purposes this plant which is called a sonchus is a giant milk thistle basically. Um, It has quite strong heavy almost frangipani like stems. Uh, It has quite a pretty sort of serrated foliage which I think is lovely. If it gets really hot in the summer uh, and dry it just sheds so you'll end okay. up with this bare stalk. Mine, mine are bare in the garden at the moment, my, my sonchuses. Uh, and I just go over them and clean the dead leaves off and cut any old dead flower heads off the top and just have them as this sculptural-looking thing. Um, and they produce 
as you would imagine, little yellow dandelion-esque flowers, but in quite large heads. So when it's in bloom in the spring, it can be quite showy, um, Mm. as long as you do like Mm. yellow daisies. Some people Mm. don't seem to really enjoy yellow daisies for some reason or another. Um, They're tough, hardy plants. They'll cope with reasonably frosty conditions. Because they'll shed in the summer if it gets dry, they're pretty well rock hardy as far as drought's concerned. Mm. Uh, And there's a whole range of species of them from comparatively small ones up to some like this one, which is, um, uh, funnily enough, Sontius canariensis, uh, can get up to three metres or more tall. So, you know, you're talking about Mm. a substantial shrub. But they're never densely branched. They're sort of heavy, sort of open, layered sort of plants. It's got an almost palm-like feel to it. It does. Is that what it's like when it's quite tall? Does it feel like a sort of a miniature palm? No, because of the branching it's arrangement. Too branching. Yeah, it's too branchy. Yeah. It looks, okay. you know, more like a frangipani-esque shape plant, uh, but with this sort of more feathery-looking foliage on it. Mm. Um, and I like the Sontius. As I've been, uh, well, having been to the Canary Islands and seeing some in the wild, that's always exciting anyway. Um, but I found them a useful group of plants. They'll cope with full sun. Uh, most of them will cope with semi-shade, even to slightly heavy shade, really. Uh, <coughs> they're all yellow. Uh, there's a, quite a diversity in foliage shape, um, so you know, the leaves can be quite entertaining in the group. Um, and <coughs> I have found in my garden that at least two of the species I planted do lightly self-seed, but the other ones haven't seemed to do it at all. Um, and, and yet if I collect the seed and sow it, it germinates quite easily. Um, so I don't think there's any particular weed potential with the Sontiuses, um, but anything with a dandelion flower people sometimes are a bit nervous about, I guess. Um, but yeah, I've got one called Sontius fruticosa, which gets quite big coarse leaves on it, and that self-seeds itself around my garden a bit, but it's easy to pull out the outliers, and it only seems to self-seed into cultivated ground. It doesn't seem, you know, I don't think it would ever go out into the bush because okay. it, it just wouldn't like that sort of mm. uncultivated soil. Yep. Um, so I think they're a great group of plants. Uh, they're quick growing. Uh, this one's a seedling that I raised in the spring um, and it's more than ready to go into a bigger pot and it's already about 30 centimetres or so tall. Mm. If I put that out in the ground, by this time next year it should be up to about chest height or more. Okay. So they grow quite quickly, so you, you'll fill a gap quite fast, but they won't hide you from the neighbours because they're just too open frame. <laughs> uh, but that, I think some plants with an open, airy look to them are really good. I don't know why everything in the garden has to be bushy. Mm. I don't quite get mm. that. Uh, but, you know, people, that's one of the first questions people ask about a shrub. You know, does it grow bushy? Mm. And you think, well, I quite like see-through things a bit because mm. it gives you an opportunity to look through to the next exactly. area of the garden or yep. whatever. Yep. And you can also have see-through plants towards the front of a border so that you don't end up with that greengrocer's staging look where everything's sort of really tall at the back and it comes down in, in levels to the front. <coughs> you can have something with a bit of height in the front to sort of break it up and yep. you, you can see through it and see the plants behind. Yep. Excellent. So Sonchus, which is S-O-N-C-H-U-S, uh, <coughs> and as I said, it's a... A genus of a number of herby things up to medium-sized shrubs, uh, mainly from the Canary Islands, although I believe there's a couple of species in exotic places like Algiers. Okay. So, uh, yeah, so there you go. There's a couple Excellent. of interesting plants. All right, we're going to go to our first caller, and we have Olive, Olive who's in Frankston. Good morning, Olive. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Um, uh, Stephen, firstly, the Sarkerman you sold me about three years ago. I think it was the little Cyclamen africans or or whatever. Yeah. It's in full flower again. Lovely pink flowers. Good. 
just think of you every time it comes out. Thank you. Oh, that's sweet. <laughs> I like the fact that people might think of me on a regular basis when they go out into their garden and see some plant they got from me. I think that's one of the charming things about being yeah, in the horticultural yeah. industry. And the uh, autumn snowdrops too, they're really good. Oh, good. Uh, the, well, I've got two vegetable questions. First of all, I've got bought uh, Epicure climbing beans. Uh, they uh, flower and I've got two beans off them so far and um, that's all I have. The, the, the flower comes out white. It's very, hardly any flowers have come and they turn yellow and drop off. Yeah, they're not being pollinated. Well, it's got a lavender bush right in front. Yeah, look, uh, it, the beans are tricky. They, they, they flower and they get pollinated at in certain temperature ranges, and oh, once I it see. gets too hot, oh, um, yes, well, they they just stop um, mm. producing. And when the weather cools down again, they'll start producing again. So, and it, look, it may be a lack of bees in the garden, but I think it's more to do with the with the temperature. Um, you you probably don't get that quite as much where Not you are. Not so it's much. A bit cooler. Yeah, we're cooler up there, and our beans do tend to do quite well. I've yeah, been yeah. picking bush beans for weeks now. Yeah, but there's some of the climbing beans cl- uh, are glass. very dependent on yeah. on temperature. Yeah. And they well, I have to say, my climbing yeah. beans, I put them in rather late, and they're only just starting to come into flower now. Yeah. So whether I'll get much of a crop, I don't know. But uh, um, but yeah, in a cool climate, you do seem to do quite. Well with beans, beans. Yeah. Yeah. and the other one is um, uh, an eggplant is comes up in our garden every year and it grows to about two about six foot high yep. and it has little yellow berries about the size of cherries which the birds like and I saw it in a, nurse, a nursery and I said oh I've got that plant I don't know what it is and they said no that's an eggplant but it's got a stem about inch and a half around. But, we were uh, talking about a kangaroo apple or something like that. I don't know what it is. Well, the, it's a, it certainly sounds like a Solanaceae so yeah. in, yes. in that family. Um, there's, I wouldn't call it an eggplant. I don't think I'd call it. Cause I don't know a yellow eggplant. Um, there, are, there are certainly the pea eggplant that is, stays green, that mm. is grown in more humid areas. Yeah. Um, there's a red eggplant that's, mm. a, that's a small one, and again, it's a more tropical plant um but from i just i can't think of any one mm. that i would call so i mean you may be thinking about or they it may be a, something like a tomatillo which is in the solanaceae which is yeah. which mm. is yellow um which has a sort of papery case around the outside um and as you say it could be it could be yeah. a kangaroo now, i'm apple. wondering about kangaroo apple because um, it's one of those things that does pop up in people's gardens, gardens yeah. uh, unexpectedly and it, they have quite big finger finger like yes the leaf is very distinctive and it's sort of purpley a purple, purple flower yeah. yeah. oh yes oh yes yeah, and uh, it is edible, but the fruit has to be really ripe, and it's yeah. one of those things the Aboriginals used as a bush tucker food, but I don't know that it's taken off quite so much in, in normal cultivation as a, a food plant, really. Um, and it is poisonous when it's not ripe. Right, right. So don't go rushing around eating them off the no, plant. No, no if they're really soft, they're safe. Mm. Yes, it works like, uh, works like an umbrella, actually. I wish it had grown in another area where it gets sun, and I could have used it for shade plants. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they grow. I might add, if it is a kangaroo apple, and that's my gut feeling, uh, yeah. they grow like mad. They make quite a large shrub, almost a small tree, uh, yeah. but they're not long-lived. 
they tend oh. to start getting scruffy after a few years and lose their yeah. vigour because they're a, they're a sort of pioneer species in the wild. When you have a bushfire through, I know when we had the yeah. bushfires in 83 at Mount Macedon, kangaroo apples came up, up everywhere. everywhere. Yeah. They were all over Mount Macedon and now you'd have to hunt around to find some. There'll, mm. there'll just be odd mm. ones around the place. Mm. But yeah, right through the forest they were, they were everywhere after the fires and of course they grow really quickly so they give, a, give shelter for the slower growing things to get started mm. and then they slowly get supplanted by the more permanent stuff. Good. Thank you very much for your information. A wonderful show as always. And um, have a nice week. Thanks very much, Olive. Thanks, Olive. Bye. If you'd like to join us this morning, that number is 94190155. You are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. And in the studio this morning we have Stephen Ryan and Penny Woodward. So we'd love to hear from you. Penny, another another um, um, addition. Yes. yes. Yeah, and look, this was quite an exciting one because it's the 100th. So Organic Garden has now been going for 18 years. That's fantastic. And I've been writing for it for, I think I was worked it out, was about 14 of those okay. years. Okay. Not, not consistently, but, but off and on. Um, and certainly consistently more recently. Uh, look, I just think it's pretty remarkable for a magazine um, to have lasted that long in our in our current um, regime, where where people seem to not be reading magazines, but you know our subscriptions keep going up, not not massively, but they're certainly going up. They're not mm. going down, and um, and we don't have a program to support us like Gardening Australia, um, and you know we we um, just keep. I guess writing things that people want to read. So I think it's a really interesting issue. We had a interesting time with the cover. <laughs> Not everyone agreed about it. Um, and it's a it's quite a striking cover of a of a bunch of flowers. But after they'd taken the photo and decided that um, this was going to be the cover, we had to adapt an article to make the cover work, which happened to be one of my articles. And so we had a few discussions about that. So, look, <laughs> the magazine world is an interesting world, particularly when you're all freelance because you, you, um, you have to compromise about things. But Peter Cundall's written a great article about organic gardening and how important mm. it is, and he's just so passionate about, about those sort of things. And um, Helen McCarroll from South Australia has done a really good article on, on um, figs. And um, Justin... Russell has written about broccoli, and, and I, I think broccoli is a really interesting plant mm. because, and this is one of the things that Justin writes about, you can use every single part of the broccoli. Mm. So mm. I now eat the leaves, I eat the florets, I eat the flowers. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had broccoli, some plants in my garden that have been there for 18 months now and haven't been completely devoured by the caterpillars. I feed them to the chooks. Um, but I go out and I pick the leaves and I put them into, into greens and green sauces and stuff like that and I pick the florets that keep appearing from the base because this is one of the sort of um, bunching ones yeah. that, that keep shooting. Yes. And, um, and then when they, go to, when they go to seed and they produce the flowers, I pick the flowers and I throw them through salads. And You, know, you can use all sorts of parts of, of, um, of broccoli. That, and I like, like the stems. That, yeah, indeed. Stems, stems are wonderful. Stems as well, yeah. Yeah, so um, yeah, so he he talks about different ways of of using of using broccoli, and um, there's a bit of a look back into the past with um, Linda Coburn, who they decided to live on um, without spending any money for 12 months when they were living in Queensland, oh, and they right. wrote about it in the 2004 edition of Organic Gardener, and they did actually achieve it, and their little boy was 
um, only four or five at the time, and um, and they're now in in Tassie, and they have a really interesting seed business, and they do market gardening, and we've been interviewing them for the for the tomato book because they have a lot of really interesting heirloom cultivars of tomatoes, and um, so we she looks back at you know what they did then and what they're doing now and what's really important and. For her, the important things are going back to community and doing things not just on your own property mm. to um, help the environment and to make sure that your footprint is not too large, but also getting the community involved. And mm. um, they're doing some really interesting things in Tasmania. There's a lot of lot of community things happening, which I find quite encouraging when you when you look at the other side and see what's That's happening right. in countries and yes. environment disappearing and yes. all that sort of thing. I think that people are responding really well and really positively in a lot of ways. So yeah. So there's a bit about that. There's a really interesting article about what's on my food. And one of the things that I discovered in reading this, it's all about the chemicals that are going onto our foods, is that all tomatoes that come down from Queensland have to be sprayed with a chemical to stop to make sure there's no fruit fly on them. Oh, so that we're not so, getting the fruit fly down here. So we're not mm. getting the fruit fly down here, but we are getting the poisons that they're spraying on the tomatoes to come down here. So they're not necessarily Ooh. grown with poisons. No, no, no. But, but to bring them down to non-fruit fly areas, they have to spray the tomatoes. And I didn't know that. I, you know, so it, it's just... Um, so it's, that's Gosh, really I wish we'd get told. I wish there was yeah, transparency. I know, I know. I know. Surely I, they can't sell them as organic tomatoes. Well, they don't. Yeah, they well don't. Yeah. But no, but the point the is, you still don't know. They're up in our supermarkets yes. that come from Queensland. Yeah. And you think it's Australian and should be fine. Yeah. Sorry. That's um, not good. And there's, there's an article about um, uh, community gardening in Sydney and there's a, a, a really interesting article about a co-op that's being formed down in the area where I was yesterday, down in Menian, where the farmers are all getting together once a month on one of the properties and they have this big sort of farmer's market. But um, you sign up to, to buy things before you actually turn up there. So it's a really, it's a really interesting cooperative setup. So there's lots, of, there's lots of really good stuff in there. I've, I've written about spring onions and other leafy onions and some tips for a healthy garden. So I think it's a nice issue, despite the colour. <laughs> I didn't say oh, that. you said that. I heard it. <laughs> Just pretend I didn't say that. <laughs> well, it's pretty. It is. Very, I'll give it, it that. It is very pretty and it's quite striking. And mm. yes, yes. And, it, and it needed to be something different so that it would yes. stand out. Um, I understand all of that. I'm not quite sure about the combination of, of the, the orange, orange and no. the purple. No. That's my only quibble. Yes. <laughs> so everyone can go and have a look at it in your news. Yeah, make your own mind up. And about make your own mind up <laughs> or at the library and, um, and buy it if you think it might be interesting. So, there you go. Yeah. Okay. And, and the pri- there's a special prize where you get 10 years' worth of back issues of Organic Gardener. Oh, goodness. If you're interested. Okay. Goodness me. Yeah. So That's a lot of issues. <laughs> Yes, I'd have to get rid of about 40 years' worth of other magazines yes, to make space for them. That's the only but problem. You, you, but not everyone has that sort of library of... I mean, I have a library of magazines that I go back to all the time. Mm. And it's, it's a really useful thing to have. Oh, it is. And, um, it, and it's a wealth of knowledge from people who've been writing about gardening for a long time. Yeah. Um, so I just... Uh, Stephen, um, who's the editor, Steve Payne, had... Um, Two lots of complete sets of, of organic gardener, um, and one of them is, is um, you can win. So okay. Yeah. Wow. All right. Let's go to our next caller. We have Thelma out in Oak Park. Good morning. 
Oh, good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, I have a problem, another problem with a weed. It's mm. called the moss weed. It's like a vine thing, and I've read a little bit about it, but not much in um, what I can do to get rid of it. It's a, a, a nuisance of a thing because I can't access it. To, you know, if I can get to any of the new shoots coming up, I pull pull them out. But it's in amongst my shrubs and... Uh, and it's in a lily pilly that appears to be growing in in the lily pilly. I can't see the roots down into the in the ground. I'm just wondering is the, do I sort of have to get a bit of professional help to get rid of this? We're we're all struggling a wee bit here because the common name mothway doesn't oh, ring a bell. Well, it's um I've just looked it up. Moth. Vine. It was in the garden. So, it was in. Uh, don't like me to promote the other magazine. It was in the, I think, January Gardening Australia magazine. And um, no, it didn't give the help on how. Does to, it? Does it have quite big seed pods? Yes, oh. like a gourd, and apparently. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, apparently they're so poisonous. Arugia. Arugia, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so ah, right. yeah yes, and it has a white arugia. sap. Yeah, it has yeah. a white sap in it. I was yeah. thinking in a completely different direction, but yes, yeah. you're right. It gets a white flower, and yeah. then these big. Pods, and if you break them open, they've got sort of like a K-pocky yes. stuff inside. Yep. Um, well, it does come from the ground, so it's not sitting up there all on its own. Yeah. So its roots will be in the ground somewhere, um, and it's really just a matter of following it right back until you find the base of the plant. Certainly, don't let them go to seed because you'll have babies coming up everywhere. Yeah. Um, so even if you've got to go around and pluck the pods off before they get ripe, um, right. keep on top of that. Uh, right. because one year seeding is seven years weeding, um, so don't let them go to seed. Um, and really, if you can get uh, down at the base of the plant and you don't have to get all of the root system of the plant out, but you certainly have to get the base of the stem out with some of the root system around it, and it shouldn't reshoot from the roots again. All right, okay. So it's really a matter of finding the base of that plant and getting it out at the base. Yeah, so um, amongst, it should be doable. Yeah, it's amongst the lily pillars and amongst the other edging plant I've got quite awkward to get at. Yeah, well, yeah. Look, I, I have the same thing with passion fruit. Yeah. Um, and I go round and it's just a job that I do once a month. I yeah. should do it more often. But you just go round and cut them off at the base. Yeah, and you just keep, keep, you yeah. just keep doing base. it. Yeah. yeah well, see, I, I used to every time I'd walk around see but it sort of just got ahead of me and, yeah, um, and yeah. once they do then it becomes a major job yeah, uh, yeah. have uh, you got some family or um, some people that could just come over and help you get on top of it once more because if you can do that then yeah. it's usually easier to then keep yeah. it under control mm. once you've cut them all back, back. right if yes you, perhaps I will get a, a bit of a like working that. bee yeah, maybe the right offer, so, offer a nice Devonshire tea or something yeah. to, okay. to some friends and, and yeah, well, make a cake or something. And, all right, uh, we'll uh, have a moth day. Yes, yes, you can have a moth plant day, yes. Yeah. It does, one of the things it says in this um, that I'm looking at, it says that it can cause dermatitis for some people. Uh, so yes. just yeah, make, make, sticky, sure that, make sure yeah. that you wear gloves Club. when you're doing it. Right, and okay long sleeves, then. If possible. Good. All right. Well, thank you very much. But look, good luck. It's you know, weeds can cause oh. gardening to be not as much fun as it usually yeah. is. Like no, no, and you wonder where they come from, you know. Well, well yeah. things like that move around quite easily because they've got the capocky sort of seed inside. Yeah, They'll blow in from elsewhere. Uh, and of yeah. course, if you've got people in the neighbourhood who are not controlling something like yeah, that, well, then true. you keep getting reinfected by it. So yeah. you've just got to keep right on top of it. Yeah. Radio then. Thank okay. you. Good luck, Thelma. Bye. Bye. Silly me, I thought Thelma said moss and oh, not moss, oh, so that right. completely threw me off. If I'd actually moth. heard moth, 
<laughs> properly, uh, I would have immediately known what it was because I do know the plant. It's because it actually looks like a more tropical plant. Mm. Um, Grows at Macedon so perfectly happily. Okay. Yep, yep. Right. Frost won't eat it. Yeah, because uh, we don't have it down yeah. our way, fortunately. Yeah, so. no, it's it's yeah, it's it's a pretty tough plant, and it'll grow in a wide range of conditions. Okay. And uh, I regularly get people coming in with the 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 pods, pods and you because say, take them away. Take them well, away. it's not so much that; it's just the fact that. They look a little bit like a small choco, oh, okay. and people wonder whether they're edible. Oh, so right. you, you regularly get people coming in and saying, "Can I eat this thing?" No. That, well, you wouldn't want to try. I no. imagine it'd be like eating a pillow, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> even if it's not poisonous, it'd but, still yeah, be a but yeah. the milky sap is likely to be very. Oh, oh more yeah. than likely. I mean, anything with that sort of latexy white sap is, yep. is something to be aware of. Yeah, mm. and beware of. Yes. Okay, um, now today is actually uh, the uh, part of this week uh, where 3CR have been running their annual subscriber drive. Now, um, being coming a subscriber of the uh, station, but uh, actually of the program as well, is a wonderful way of supporting the station for uh, the next 12 months. Um, now, by becoming a subscriber... Uh, you help to keep, obviously, uh, community radio stations on air. You give a voice to those who are traditionally denied a place in the mainstream media. You fund a radio station that has a policy of non-racist and non-sexist broadcasting and support the struggles of working-class people everywhere. You get Australian artists and music out there because 3CR plays at least 55% Australian music each year. And uh, you help build skills and empower disadvantaged groups with training courses and special projects. Now, you also, as a subscriber, there are local businesses who will offer discounts to our subscribers. And as I say, this is um, a wonderful way of actually supporting the gardening show and 3CR in general by becoming a subscriber. Now, um, for waged uh, people, the cost is $75. Uh, for unwaged and concession, the cost is $35. And as I say, it gives wonderful support to the station. Now, we are having a subscriber drive this morning for, in, specifically for the gardening show. And to tempt you to become a subscriber or if you are already a subscriber to renew your subscription I have um, a few little giveaways which we are going to actually um, uh, go into a draw anyone that rings in this morning will go into a draw and we are going to choose uh, or draw those uh, these little prizes out at the end of the program so you need to stay listening this morning now I have two books uh, to offer the first book is Holly Kerr Forsyth's Remembered Gardens now this is a wonderful book it's um, valued at $50 and this is a book uh, which is the story of um, Elizabeth MacArthur Edna Walling and six other women whose passions for their gardens and for garden making have shaped our relationship with the Australian landscape. Now, it's full of absolutely wonderful photographs. It's a hard copy book. As I mentioned, it is worth $50. So that is um, one of the books on offer. The other book on offer 
is uh, The Elements of Organic Gardening, and this is actually written by um, His Royal Highness the Prince of Wales. Now, it includes um, a lot of information on Highgrove, on Clarence House and on Burke Hall, and uh, he covers things like the essential elements of organic gardening, the productive gardens, the ornamental gardens, the informal gardens, beginning an organic garden, and um, lots of other information. And once again, some absolutely wonderful photographs throughout the whole book and lots and lots of information. And this book is valued at $65. So they are really wonderful hard copy um, books that uh, you can go into the draw from. Now, as well as those books, we also have six uh, double passes for... um, to get in to uh, Tesla's Gardening and Plant Expo, which takes place April 14th and 15th. So we have six of those as well. So anyone that phones in this morning and becomes a listener sponsor or renews their sponsorship this morning, uh, we'll go into the draw for all of these things. The two books, uh, one of the two books you will get, or one of the six uh, double passes into Tesla's. Now, to, uh, to subscribe, simply give us a call this morning. We're ready to take your calls. That number is 94190155. That's 94190155. You'll go into the draw and, uh, we will, um, we will draw those, as I say, towards the end of the program this morning and, uh, they will be sent out to you. So, um, you don't have to do a thing apart from giving us a call and becoming a subscriber and being one of the 3CR family. And, of course, I should say that um, by being a subscriber, you are actually a member of the station, which also gives you a say in what happens at 3CR. It gives you voting rights. You'll also get our um, 3CR uh, Cram Guide, which is our magazine-newsletter. So plenty of reasons to become a subscriber. That number to give us a call on is 9419015. Damn, I just renewed mine recently, so I can't go in the draw. No, you can't. And I've had, <laughs> I've had to renew mine too because all um, all presenters have mm. to be oh, yes. responses. So, um, so but yes, we're renewed. Can I just say one of the things I love about 3CR is that um, we don't have any advertisers. So it means for us that we can say what we think about products honestly. Exactly. Yeah. So that if yes, we're, we're, if we're recommending things. something, it's because we We've have used, used it and, it trialed, and it. trialed it and believe in it, yes. not yeah. because someone is paying the station for us to say it. And that's a very and, good point. And I just, I, to me, that's a, it's just so important. It um, is. Because it's really genuine information that we're putting out there. And I just wasn't sure that listeners understood that. Yes. Um, Excellent yeah. point. So I just wanted to say Yes. I've, I really do pride ourselves on our independence on this gardening show. Yeah. Yeah, because yes. yeah, we get approached by all sorts of people, and and it just means that we have we can just follow our consciences and only only talk about the things that we think of. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Excellent mm, point. True. Okay, Stephen, that brings us to another one of your plants. All right, well, we might have a go at this one with a flower on top. Um, looks like a crocosmia. Uh, 
Yeah, well, it's Iridaceae, so yes, it's in the same family. Um, this is a plant that's had a slightly checkered history in the naming stakes. Uh, it's still got its old label in it, so you would still buy it probably from most people as Schizostylus, Schizostylus cochinia. Um, they're commonly known as Kaffa lilies. Um, they're a more or less evergreen bulbous plant. If they're in a spot that's not too dry, they'll stay green all year round. Um, they make quite good, slowly moving clumps. They get Tallish stems, which are quite long enough to pick, uh, and you get this quite pretty, in the case of Cochinia in its wild form, a sort of a tomato-y red-coloured flower. It's a lovely flower, and it flowers in the late summer-autumn, which makes it really useful. Um, But it was called a stylus and not something else because of its semi-evergreen habit, Uh, but it was decided because it comes from damp sites, that's how it's developed this sort of evergreen-ishness. But other than that, it doesn't differ from a group of bulbs called Hesperanthas at all. So it's now being dumped back into Hesperantha. So it's Hesperantha cochinia, but if you do buy it anywhere, it'll have a label on it that probably says she's a stylus or maybe Kaffa lily. And you can get white ones, although the white ones I find rather weak. Um, There's a quite pretty clear rose pink one. Um, In fact, there's a couple of them. One of them's called Viscountess Bing. And there's okay. another one called Mrs. Hegarty. Um, and it's a popular garden plant in, in England particularly, but you don't see the kaffir lilies grown that terribly often here. Um, and they've just got a classical sort of strappy irisy like leaf. Uh, and these rather pretty flowers, and they go on and on and on for ages when they're in bloom. So as long as it's in a spot that gets a little bit of moisture during the summer, autumn months when it's in its most growth phase, um, so you wouldn't have it in a dry border. Uh, you can actually grow it on the edge of ponds and things like that, so it could actually grow in quite damp spots quite happily as well. Um, and the stems are long enough to pick, so it's quite a nice thing for, ha- mm. for cutting uh, at this time of the year. And the flowers are dainty, but of a decent size, so they, they, they are telling in the garden when it's in flower. That would look nice around your pond. It would, except my pond doesn't have enough sunlight around it at all for, oh. it, for the Hesperanthus to survive. Well, I've tried some of the water canners as well, and they haven't done terribly well either because I just don't get enough light because there's just too much tree cover now. Everything's becoming green and and shady uh, and that does limit you somewhat uh, in the things you can grow, unfortunately. It does because, I mean, the same thing's happened in in my garden and I'm sure in in a lot of people's gardens and it's not just in your own garden that your trees and things have grown up, but it's neighbouring trees as well, which you can't do anything about, but that's shading your garden. Yeah. Yes, and sometimes people don't see the garden for the trees. So we end up with masses of trees and then you end up with no lower sort of story planting. So, or you struggle to find plants that are going to grow in those low, lower stories. So I think it's always a good idea to have some areas of the garden that you do keep open and you don't just keep planting more and more big trees because otherwise you just, and it's not just the tree, it's canopy, it's, it's the tree's roots and mm, everything yes, else to yes, do with yes. the tree. I mean, I, uh, I'm one of the biggest advocates of trees you could imagine, but nonetheless, you've still got to keep some parts of the garden where you have some sun and, and openness so that you can, mm. in fact, grow that whole palette of plants that you probably want to grow. Mm. Or the veggies. Well, exactly. Well, There's not veggies, many veggies really need the sun. Yeah, well, how many veggies can you grow in the shade? There's not very many. Few, not <laughs> many of them. So, yeah, so you do need sunny spots for those sorts of plants. So, Schizostylus or Hesperantha cochinia, um, a very pretty South African bulb. We've had it in Australia for yonks. It doesn't seem to have any weedy potential at all. Um, I've never seen it go feral anywhere. Um, and it's very pretty. And, you know, lots of South 
Africa involves you actually do have to be careful about because some of them mm. do take to our climate rather too well. Uh, and you, you, know, you go out and about sometimes and you'll see fields of ixias and, and, and sporaxis and things growing, you know, along roadsides and what have you. Oh, yes. Some of the wild species gladdies. Yes. Uh, I remember when I was down at Lawn just before Christmas, uh, Gladiolus undulatus was growing in the sand dunes. Yes. Down at Lawn. It's you know. crazy, isn't it? Yeah. So you do have to be careful with some, but I think the, the Hesperantha cochinia is a, a fairly safe and very pretty plant to grow. Now, if you are uh, phoning in on that line, do give us a moment. We've got a few calls on the line, and uh, we will get to your call, so don't hang up. Uh, we'll definitely get to your call, so just uh, just hang in there and uh, bear with us, but we'll get to your call very quickly. Okay, um, what's happening around town? Is there anything um, coming up? Have you got um, more festivals? Or <laughs> well, yeah, well, I'm well. You're going to Tassie I'm, I'm next weekend. I'm going to Tassie next yes, weekend. Yes. But um, I just wanted, also wanted to mention the fact that um, if you already talked about this, but Diggers is having their 40th anniversary. Yes. So, I, you know, I think mm. that's really good that they've kept going for so long and they're doing some interesting things and they've got um, a weekend coming. Well, you spoke that's about the Harvest, Harvest Festival, Festival yes. um, yeah. earlier. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's just interesting to see how the different organisations have, have evolved and um, they've got um, just releasing some bulb stuff as uh, Lamley Nursery. So there's a... A lot of really nice bulbs around. So if you're looking at, you know, pl- putting in bulbs for um, spring flowering, mm. and now's, now's the time. Now's the time to be yes, looking, looking yes, you need to bulbs. be considering that. Yes, yes. I'll have so. to have a talk to Rachel about some more tulips again. Yes, <laughs> this year. I've just bought some. Um, one of my favourite daffodils is Beryl. Yeah, and it's a gorgeous little daffodil. I had a very dear friend whose name was Beryl, and I grew it for her, but. Um, mine have just disappeared. So oh, well, you I've need some to, more. I've had yeah. to buy some more. Yeah. Some more barrels. That's a lovely old one, Beryl. Yeah. yeah, I, think yeah. I, I don't know it's that I've still got it, but I had it for a long time. It's not a big showy one. No. But it's a. It's it's a very. Um, it's sort of pale yellow and and almost white. Yeah. Um, in the in the flower, and it's, uh, and I love it. But mm. yeah, you know, and I think it. I think it's one of the things about gardening is how often we garden with things in our gardens that remind us mm. of people. So that you get given something and, you know, that becomes really... I've got, still got a plant in my garden in the same pot that my mother grew. And um, she's been dead for quite a few years now. And, and that's a really important plant to me. And I don't Yeah, I've got my grandmother's hoya. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, someone else got mum's hoya. Yeah, I did. I, yeah, no, well, I got my grandmother's hoya and my mum's hoya. Okay. So well, I ended done. up with two generations of hoyas at my place. Well, of course, of course um, the rose industry has been doing so well by naming individual yeah. roses um, yeah. with names that will apply to... Um, a particular person, person or yeah. a, an occasion, an or whatever. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, so I, you know, quite often you wander out in your garden and you think, well, that came from so and so, and that came from so yeah. and so, and yeah. I've got. Yeah. So I think that's a really nice thing without being maudlin. It's a, it's a thing that whenever I go out and water this particular sage that Mum grew, I think of her, and then when I'm around the front, mm. I've got another that lovely really bright red and black sage that grows quite tall. Oh, yes. I can't yes. remember the name of it, but yeah. a dear friend, Liz, grew that one mm. and that came from her garden and she died at the end of last year. And um, You know, it's lovely because it mm. makes you think about people that were special in exactly. your life. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. I think that's a good thing. Yeah. 
No, um, at the moment, great. I can't think of anything else that I'm doing. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> I think you've got more than enough. That's more than enough. That, that yeah. with Mifkas, and, and I know I'm doing, I'm doing a couple of talks for SGA in April as well, but um, okay. that's a bit further out I can talk uh, about. And SGA is Sustainable, Sustainable Gardening Garden Australia, Australia mm-hmm. who are doing some really interesting um, sort of educational stuff, which mm. I think is really important. Mm. So. Yes, so yeah, it's a busy time this time of year for mm. me. I just sort of stopped doing. Dare I say, I'm else. you're sort of gearing up to go away uh, <laughs> again. Yes, well, some people. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, so well, Pam and I are going away this year. So just, and Cordell, just you and Pam. No, 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 no. <laughs> with a with a group of other like-minded, horticulturally okay. inclined people. Absolutely. Uh, to the south of France, which is going to be quite exciting, I think. Mm. Um, and. Craig and I are actually going off to Corsica before the trip to France because we've worked out that as much as we love doing the tours, you're actually working, you're not on holidays because, you know, you'll be on holidays, Pam, but Craig and I won't be on holidays. So we figure that when we're in that part of the world, it's a good idea to add something something. to the tour. And so either before or after, we'll find something we want to do just for us uh, because you're already in that part of the world. Well, it's such a long way to go. You've got to make the most of it. You do. So Mm. so Craig will be leaving at the beginning of April. I'll be staying around till after the Tesla affair uh, and then I'll jump on a plane and go. Uh, And we've decided on Corsica this year. So Craig's going to do a couple of walks in Corsica with some friends of ours that live up at Mount Macedon. Uh, one of them's turning 60 this year, so they decided it would be a nice thing to do. Um, and then I'll meet them after they've done their couple of walks um, somewhere in Corsica. We're still debating on which town I'm going to fly into. Um, and then we'll hire a car and we'll just do some driving around, do some day walks and things like that, get my head around Corsica a bit. Um, there's always the potential it might turn into a tour later on. Mm. Uh, so that's another thought. I think Corsica would be fascinating, yeah, yeah, Corsica, actually. Corsica and Sardinia or something yes, like that, yeah. join them together and make a, a tour out of it. So it'll give us a, a sort of on-the-ground sort of sense of the place. Um, I've got this idea, although it won't be in flower, but I'd like to see some Corsican hellebore growing in the wild, okay. which would be yes. fun. That and, would be fun. And there's cyclamen and other things that grow there as well. So, yeah. you know, so there'll be plants for me to, to discover and mm. find. And uh, that time of the year we might might even find some uh, attractive uh, ground orchids and things yep. like that growing there. Yep. So, and it's supposedly a, a very picturesque island, so I'm yeah. looking forward to it. So we'll do that, and then we'll meet up with the group, group in Nice at the airport, um, and then we go off and spend about, I think, seven or eight days in Menton and drive out to gardens and things from there. And that's the thing I like about the ASA tours is that you, where possible you sort of station yourself somewhere yeah, and so you stay in the same room. Yeah. You're not packing up cases every oh, day. Yes, it's, it's a frightening thing to have to do. Uh, I mean, there are tours where you have to do that, but certainly in the south of France we basically stay in more or less three places. Mm. So, you know, so there's Menton, uh, Aix-en-Provence and Avignon uh, and we go out from there and do our different day trips and stuff which would be lovely mm. and we're going to have to deal with you know Michelin hat meals and five star hotels and I don't, <laughs> don't know how we'll cope <laughs> but it should be great fun and there's some wonderful gardens there I've been doing a lot of reading and, and, and looking lustfully at photographs and things of some of these gardens we're going to visit. It sounds like some of the gardens are going to be amazing. Yeah, it should be really great fun. And, of course, it's not just about gardens. I mean, we, we visit art galleries and museums. Oh, and, yes. And eat food, drink wine, all that stuff. And <laughs> so there, there's more to it than just garden visiting. But uh, And we, we'll be going out and looking at wildflowers as well, which mm, is part of the trip. Which is great. Yeah, so yep. into one of France's most wild, wild places. Yep. So 
It will be great. Will. Yes. And, and, and there is a little bit of room still on board if anybody really, really, I really wanted to I think there's two rooms left last yeah. I heard, Yeah, Stephen, so if so. anybody was interested in coming with us to France, uh, the tour starts on the, what is it, the... S- oh, well, see, I leave on the 28th of April yeah, because I'm having a week... S- I think it's in the Leon, 6th or the 26th or something like that of May. Yes. Is that the actual Yeah, that tour? sounds... Yep, uh, it is 6th. And, um, yeah, and people could do what you're doing and, and what Craig and I are going to be doing. You don't have to go on the designated flight, do the tour and come no, home No, no, I figure if we're going that far, we make the most of it. Yeah. I've always wanted to go to Lyon, so yeah. we're having a... Um, we've never visited that city, so yeah. we're bypassing Paris, which... Sounds horrendous to yes. bypass Paris. Yeah, how do you do that? Oh, well, yeah. by going to Lyon. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, and at the end of the trip, um, I'm actually going on to Barcelona because I'm so close being down yeah. southeast France that, um, and yes, having never been to Barcelona, I I've have to go and see some Gaudi. There. Yeah, I want architecture. to We'll do that one day. We, we tried to do that when we went to the Canaries when we were doing the last trip. But really, if you're going to the Canaries, you want to spend as much time there as you can. Of course. You know, because, you know, you probably won't go back there again in a hurry, uh, whereas mainland Europe you can sort of deal with. So we could have stayed in Barcelona for a couple of days and done a trip around and had a look, but we decided to use those extra couple of days in, in the Canaries instead. Yes, fair enough. So all I've done is the airport in Barcelona, and so I'm <laughs> jealous. But anyhow, one day. One day, of yeah. course. Okay. Let's go to our next caller, and we have uh, Philippa in Delahaye. Good morning, Philippa. Oh, good morning to you all. It's lovely that you're having this show again. Good. And uh, a failed uh, resubscriber trying to attempt again her garden. I'm being um, buffeted by the birds. Yeah. For two years, I've had uh, beautiful crocuses planted in the hope of some harvesting of saffron. And unfortunately, there's this little thrush with a speckled belly that hops around the undergrowth and uproots all of these bulbs. Uh, it's costing me dearly any suggestion. Um, why a mesh over the top? And in fact, if he's digging the bulbs out and not just plucking the flowers off, if you plant your bulbs and then put a coarse-ish sort of wire over the whole bed and pin it down, yes. then they can't scratch into the bed and the crocuses will come up through it. So that might be one technique of dealing with it. Uh, it's even worse, though, if you have a bird that comes along and just plucks the flowers off in one sense because if you're going to protect those, then you've got to put a wire cage over the top of everything, which then makes it rather oh, aesthetically please. unattractive. Um, whereas if you've just got some wire stretched out flat over the ground and pinned down with some tent pegs or something, uh, it's reasonably inconspicuous and then the bulbs will just come through it. So that's... Uh, what it do, you know, the, um, the mosquito netting, that doesn't sort of look so ugly. Is that I would be too fine. Um, and oh. you also have the potential to trap things mm. in it too because oh, right. they'll get their claws caught. All right, some, some wire netting some, yep. and, yes. Yeah, and sort of wire netting with perhaps uh, in the old measurement sort of half inch... It could even be a bit bigger than that. Yeah, it could. Um, yeah, you know, even chicken wire might work. Yeah, and even, uh, look, I don't know what sort of area you're trying to cover, but some stuff um, like some of the plastic, oh, plastic trellis. A metre. Yeah, so it's only a smallish area. Yeah. Um, but just anything that makes a sort of lattice over the ground that makes it difficult for the so birds to scratch, scratch around, but yeah. it's got a big enough hole so that the crocuses can pop through it. 
Thank you. I needed that. Yes, yeah. <laughs> so that, that, that could work for you. Yeah. Um, the uh, only the only other thing I do sometimes with some bulbs, if if they're fairly close, is to cut the bottom out of a pot and actually push it down mm. over the top of where I've planted the bulb, and then the bulb can come up inside the pot, and that mm. stops the bird from scratching it out. And I do that with veggies sometimes too. Mm. So, well, um, I, I've tried like replanting them, but it. They're, they're very determined, so yeah. yes. thank you for that. I'll go and buy some more bulbs. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> Good luck. Uh, and one day maybe a harvest of half a dozen saffrons. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes. Uh, wonderful. They're such beautiful bulbs. Oh, it's a lovely flower anyway. Yeah. It's, it's oh, a gorgeous it thing. Yes, mm. yes. But, but that whole, I mean, other bulbs within the crocus family are beautiful too. Mm. They oh, really are. Yes, yeah, stunning little things. Yeah, mm. yeah, great. Stephen, we should talk about uh, this Gorgeous, twisting, turning. It's it's got real personality. Yes, it's a plant with great personality. I love it. It's a New Zealand wire netting bush is the mm. common name for it, and and, <laughs> and anybody who could see the plant could understand why. Um, yes, except that's not romantic enough. No, probably not. It's but not anyhow, a, it needs a pretty name. That's. What they call it in New Zealand. Sorry, oh, well. but there you go. Uh, and it's botanically known as Carochia cotoniaster. Um, it's a shrub up to around about two metres eventually. And it's, uh, the technical term for it is that it's devericated. And what that means is the branches zigzag in all sorts of directions uh, so that the, plant, the whole plant does get this sort of really interesting sculptural effect to it. The leaves are tiny uh, and they're a sort of a browny green. Uh, the stems are sort of a, a dark greyish colour and the new stems have a slightly white bloom on them. Uh, so there's this really interesting change of colourings and things through it. Uh, it makes a great pot plant. Uh, it looks particularly effective if you can plant it somewhere where there's a blank wall or something behind it so that You'd almost want a white, a white yeah, wall. Yeah, a white wall would be really perfect, you know, if you had a, yeah, out, and then you? it would really stand out. When it's planted into a shrub border, it does tend to disappear a little yes, bit. Yes, it would. Um, it gets tiny little yellow starry flowers, followed by small apricot coloured berries, mm. um, both of which are pretty, but not, again, overly showy. Uh, but it's really about its shape, form, and, and texture of the plant that you grow it. And for me, it's also why it does this that's interesting. Um, there's a lot of plants in New Zealand that have tiny leaves and have this zigzaggy, devericated growth habit. And the theory is that because New Zealand had no browsing mammals before people arrived, um, it only had browsing birds. And birds don't munch like a, a, a mammal does. They mm. peck. So if the branches go everywhere and the leaves are small, it's harder for a bird to actually take advantage of the foliage of the plant. Okay. And so there's a, a handful of completely unrelated plants in New Zealand, at least botanically, who all do exactly the same thing. Okay. And there's, in fact, one or two of them that are devericated while they're shrubs, but when they become trees, they lose that habit because they're above mower height. Okay. And, ah. and also there's a lot of bronze and brownish colours in the foliages, which apparently birds don't see well. Okay. So th these are all adaptations for a bird that no longer exists. But nonetheless, it's really interesting. And, and I love that sort of background stuff on plants, the trivia about a plant that gives it a bit of a personality and what have yep. you. Um, 
Anybody who's in the floral artiste part of the world uh, would appreciate a karaoke in their garden because mm. if you're doing ikbana or you know sort of mm. modern floral art, oh, and things, be the branches of it can be yes. fantastic for that. And I remember a friend of mine had a dead branch of one on a white wall in their house, just sitting there mm. with its wonderful sort of zigzaggy branching pattern, and it just made this beautiful installation on a wall, yeah. just mm. a, a branch mm. off a karaokea. Mm. So it's a really interesting shrub. It's fairly hardy. Uh, like my, most New Zealand plants, it's not overly drought tolerant. I mean, it doesn't need to be kept wet, but if it gets prolonged dryness, you'll have trouble with it. Um, it will cope with sun through to semi-shade. Um, as I said before, it makes quite a good tub specimen. So if you put it in a wooden barrel or a large concrete pot... I think it'd be wonderful as a specimen in I, you know, a tub of some sort. Yeah, and sitting up on a balcony or oh, patio or something like wonderful. that. Uh, I think if you're going to grow things in pots, uh, I mean, we have most of us have lots of different reasons why we grow things in pots. But if you're wanting something as an ornamental feature in a pot, you don't want something that flowers for two weeks and, and is a green blob the rest of the year. No, yeah. that's right. It's got to have a purpose. It's got to have form. Yeah, it's got to have form, shape, colour, texture, something about it that is going to keep it looking interesting all year round, uh, otherwise it's sort of pointless in a pot. Yeah. Uh, you might as well just have it out in the ground. So things like the karaokea I think are particularly good because although they don't do a lot of overt things, it looks interesting and textural all year round. Mm. Um, it is evergreen, if you can call a plant that has very few leaves evergreen, <laughs> um, but it will shed a little bit of foliage in the winter, so it's even more sparse in the winter, okay. but you'll still have some foliage on it. Um, and you could play with it. I mean, you could thin it out and do things with it uh, in a sort of a sculptural way to make it even more mm. dramatic. Mm. Um, Stephen, it's not spiky, is it? No, it, no. Has the, it has the look as if it, as if it, it looks like it'd be, be spiky. really spiky, yeah, but it's, it's not. not. It's, it's soft. soft. It's yeah. very, very soft. So. Which means the branches aren't brittle either. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. you're not going to poke your eye out when you no. lean in to pick it or something no, like that. No, it's wonderful. Um, and it's one of those plants that sort of teetered on popularity for decades. You know, you just see it around every yeah. so often. Yep. Uh, it's not one of those plants that's really taken off. And yet, having said that, when people come in and see it in my nursery, most people comment on it. You know, mm. so it attracts attention. Yeah. Uh, it's just that yeah. a lot of people are not quite sure how to use it, I think, and they don't quite know what to do with it. Uh, but I think it's a great plant. And I grow this in another New Zealand plant that has a very similar habit, completely unrelated, uh, a shrubby Muhlenbeckia. You know, the oh, uh, yeah. the Yep. Maiden hair vine, that yep. really fine mm. vine that can be a real mm. pain in the neck if it's in the wrong place. Right. Well, yeah. there's a shrubby one called Muhlenbeckia rastonii, which is quite rare in the wild in New Zealand now, and it has much the same sort of habit. Its leaves are rounder, but it's about the same size, and a slightly different shade of green, but it also does this wonderful sort of devericated effect, and from a distance it looks like this sort of puff of something. It's mm. really quite pretty. Mm. So, mm. yeah, I think it's an interesting thing, and, and it's part of that New Zealand flora that makes their flora so uniquely individual. So, you know, when you go to New Zealand, you'll notice a lot of bronze and brown in the foliages, and you will notice a lot of small leaves and devericated things. And they're, mm. they're, they're sort of classical characteristics of their flora. Mm. Fabulous. So okay. All right. We're going next to Anna in North Carlton. Good morning, Anna. Oh, good morning. <laughs> I have a very strange question. Mm. Are there any plants that can repel rats? What are they getting into? Oh, look, I don't think they're getting into anything in particular. I just seem to have seen more rats this year than ever before. Mm, I don't know what the hell's going on. Uh, Look, the plants that I use for mice and rats are the mint for anything that has a minty. Mm. um, They Ah. really don't like mint. 
Um, if if they're getting into your compost, um, I don't have compost. That's okay. the thing. I have a fairly boring garden. Mm. Uh, and yet, I'm not sure I you think, should be admitting that on a garden program. Yes, I know. That's why I listen to you. I just sit and dream, and I think, oh, I wish I could do this and that. And I look at my garden, and I run away. So, um, so Anna, there's a plant that's a peppermint pelargonium. Um, peppermint pelargonium, which is a semi-climbing plant. It's a tough plant, so it'll probably yeah, survive grow in anyway. your garden. Mm. Yeah. And the rats really don't like it. Mm. Oh, wonderful. But so you might have to fill a garden up with it because well, they're might, still going to go around it. Yeah, indeed. Uh, but it's, it's the plant that I use if I do think the rats are getting into the compost. Oh, um, I'm so glad I ran you. I put it through the compost and, yes. and um, oh, they, right. they just stop. Going in there. And it's easy to propagate from cuttings, so as soon as you find somebody who's got a peppermint pelargonium. Yeah, um, and they have lovely big soft leaves yeah, and they smell almost furry. beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, lovely. Yeah, so it's it's smells, actually a good plant. Yeah. So it needs to be peppermint pelargonium. Yeah. It's, the mint, it's the mint in it that does the mint. repelling. Yeah, so, so not, not any other ordinary yeah. pelargonium. Okay, right. Okay, so okay, I've got two. Any more? Um, no. Those are the only two that I mm. know. you can of. think of. So, yeah. Okay. So there so are just anything that strongly mint, mint, uh, you know, mint, mint oh, s- smell or flavour um, oh, helps. You'll I still get the odd rat everywhere. around. Just <laughs> don't expect to be rat free though. Oh, yeah. Because there's no plants that are going to repel them to that extent. Yes, you know, they're not going course. to see one from a distance mm. and go, oh, my God, there's a pelargonium, I better run away. <laughs> and, uh, and look, if you've got succulent, something that the rat wants to eat, then the chances are it will go round it or under it or you know, whatever to get to yeah, what to it get wants. What it, yeah. I mean, I've got chickens. Yeah. And oh. when you've got chickens, you've got bird seed and, and mm, scraps yeah. that you're feeding to the chickens. And, of course, the rats also want to get into that. Yeah. And when I go to lock the chickens up just after dark every night, there'll be a rat scootle up and over the top of the, the, the chook shed and all that sort of thing. Oh, really? And so oh. you sort of get used to having them around. I mean, I don't want them, but they're there. Oh, yeah. Um, and, you know, occasionally one drowns itself in the bird water, which is quite useful, and then yeah. it goes into the compost. Yeah. Um, but, you know... If you're going to have things around the garden that are going to attract them, like I know I do, mm. um, I still want to get my eggs and I want to keep my chickens. Uh, and, so, and, and I've got a caged uh, cockatoo as well yeah. that drops seed all over the place and the rats yeah. go and grab that too. Uh, so when you've got animals around like that, that will attract them. I yeah, think it must be the neighbours. Maybe I'll have a little look around. Perhaps they've got things in the garden. Yeah. Yeah, well, there's nothing yeah, I can do about that. Chickens and well, the, the other thing I found, Anna, is that one year and one year only, yeah. I used blood and bone on my vegetable garden and I instantly got a rat in my vegetable garden. I've never had a rat before. I've never used it again. I've never seen another rat. So I don't know if you've put blood and bone anywhere around the garden, but that really seems to attract them. And and look, some years they're just worse. Yeah, and they are. And it it has been a bit of a bad year this year. They really give me the creeps, you know. It spoils my entire day. They're looking for food. Yeah. Oh, you think so? Because it's so dry. Yeah. Dry, yes. Yeah. Yes, of course. Okay, well, thank you very much. I'm so glad I rang you. <laughs> Good luck, Anna. All the best. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. I take it Anna will never have a pet rat. <laughs> no, no, I would think not. Yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> okay, we've had a query from the outside line, um, and this is for you, Stephen. She mm. has a bird of paradise plant that's grown too big. It's coming out. Good luck with that. It's very hard yeah, to get hard them to out. Yeah, they're hard to dig out, yeah. Um, Will a Mexican orange blossom be a good replacement? What height does it get to? And the position it's going into gets morning sun. Yeah, well, uh, yes, the, you're right about the bird of paradise. It's going to be... 
it's great going to be, fun to get it out because they've is. got very strong root systems and they are rather hard to dig out. But anyhow, once you've done that, yes, the Mexican orange blossom would probably be quite a good replacement plant. Morning uh, sun would be fine. Should be a perfectly good a- attitude, uh, um, aspect for it. And um, it's very prunable, so you can keep them in bounds. You can trim them if you want to. Um, they'll get to metre and a half to two metres tall, and generally they grow a little wider than they are tall if you're not pruning them and cutting them. But you can keep them in, in bounds. Uh, they're quite soft-wooded, so they're easy to deal with. Um, the perfume's nice. Um, the glossy foliage is good. Um, you can get different forms. There's the classical just green leaf. Uh, Choisia tenata, but there's the, the gold-leafed one out there as well. Uh, there's also a fine-leafed, gold-leafed one out there called Gold Fingers, I think. Um, um, there's one called Aztec something, Pearl, Aztec Pearl, which has very fine leaves as well. So there's there's a few different forms of Choisia lurking around these days. Um, it's, on the other hand, though, not a shrub of huge personality, I mean, it's a big green blobby thing. I mean, mm. the, the strelitzia that's coming out is a plant with enormous personality. Oh, I mean, it makes a statement. Yeah, these big leaves and interesting flowers yep. and structural form. Yep. Um, the choisy is just going to make a ball of greenery, so it's going to be nice, quite a different... Nice, glossy green. Yeah, it greenery. is a nice green. I do admit to that. But it's <laughs> not a plant... Uh, it's a, what I would use as a filler plant, as a rule. Um, I wouldn't mm. see choisia personally as a prime suspect yeah. for a, an important spot in the garden um, because I generally want something I'm going to my eye is going to catch more regularly mm. but it would certainly do the job perfectly well so if that's what uh, our ringer in has a, uh, a yen for why not? Mm-hmm. I mean it's, it's a good shrub it is a, a good thing and that's why you see it around a bit because it does mm. do a yep. good job Yep, mm. fair enough, okay so, so there you go Yep you are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. We're running through until 9.15, so you've got uh, just under half an hour to uh, give us a call. We've got Stephen Ryan and Penny Woodward in the studio this morning, so we'd love to hear from you before we have to uh, close for yet another Sunday morning. But uh, that number, 94190155. We do have some lines free, so you'll... You'll get through nice and quickly if you want to give us a call. Okay, um, how did your experiment, you, you mentioned earlier, you must organise some more tulip bulbs. Mm-hmm. You had a bit of an experiment. Yes, last year, last I, year. Uh, unfortunately I missed the, the best bit of it all because I went away. You went away. <laughs> yeah, so it was only just coming to fruition when I left, uh, but I got... 200 purple tulips uh, from Rachel at Tesla's, uh, and I Filled my rhubarb bed okay. up with tulip bulbs. Mm. Um, it was an experiment to see whether you could get a show of tulips whilst the rhubarb was still comparatively dormant. Um, uh, and then as the tulips go over, the rhubarb should come up, hide a lot of the dying down tulipy bits. Um, and look, except for the fact that the rhubarb got underway rather earlier than I would have liked, but that only meant I had to go out and pull a whole pile of rhubarb leaves and cook them. Uh, so I had to sort of manipulate things slightly. Otherwise uh, they would have been covered. Yeah, there, there would have been too much fun. I hope you were cooking the rhubarb stems rather than the rhubarb Oh yes, leaves. no, I definitely was cooking the rhubarb <laughs> stems. Uh, and, and that was the whole point of having the rhubarb was for the stems anyway. So it, it was no real um, uh, 
sort of problem yep. to go out and just get some early rhubarb. Yep. Um, I had lots of rhubarb for my cereal in the morning for quite some time afterwards. Uh, it worked beautifully. And it was interesting because the, the rhubarb leaves that were coming up but hadn't, in fact, sort of covered the tulips with their lovely reddish colours in the stems and everything and that really glossiness that rhubarb leaves have with these really lovely dark rich purple tulips it actually Mm. worked really well and so my wicked and evil plan this year is I've got to plant a new asparagus bed I was just going to say could you do the same thing with you could I've done it before Stephen did it a few years years ago ago, but my original asparagus bed is now pretty well defunct because it was in between Mm. two hedges and the hedges have just taken over the ground and the tulips are still there funnily enough and they keep coming up but the, the asparagus has turned into being almost non-existent now. Mm. So I need to get some fresh young asparagus crowns from somewhere. I might have to ring diggers and see if I can get some of their big fat one. Um, and I'll plant the tulips under the bed. I'll plant the young asparagus on the top. Um, and if I pick the right tulip that has longevity, because some tulips sort of peter out after yep. a couple of yes. years, others go on for many years. I mean, my double yellow ones in the old asparagus bed... They were planted about 15 years ago, and they're still giving me a good show. Even why tulips? Why not daffodils? Or because daffodils stay up too long. Well, you else. could go crocus. Crocus could yeah. work, but you'd need an awful lot of them mm. to make a real show. Yeah, I'm just curious. Uh, tulips are quick and easy, uh, and they also die down comparatively fast. Um, so... And I do have a soft spot for tulips yeah. anyway. Just, just the fact that they're tulips and is part if, of the reason. If you were somewhere where it wasn't quite cold enough for tulips, mm. what would you be using? Well, I certainly wouldn't use daffodils because they stay up far too long. Too long. You know, and yeah. those big heavy leaves flop mm. over everything. And, yep. uh, I think it, you would struggle to have a good show. And also daffodils don't give you that concentration of colour like yeah. tulips do. Yeah. So I'd be looking for perhaps some sort of smaller bulb uh, that you could fill the bed up with. Um, it's got to be something reasonably early flowering. Um, so, you know, you'd have to look at something quite early in the season. Uh, you might get away with some of the early skillers might work. The little blue okay. skillers could be yeah. quite good. Um, I hadn't really thought it through about what other things you could use because I just so thinking yeah, about jobs. Uh, and so what I thought I might do is I need to try and organise some new asparagus crowns from somewhere. Um, and I'll talk to Rachel about tulips. And I rather thought... I would like a bed of white ones Okay. with my asparagus. Mm, and, in okay. fact, if I could get the purple asparagus, I know it's going to come up rather too late for the tulips, but wouldn't it be fun to have the purple-stemmed asparagus if it with was coming up tulips. with the white tulips? But I think it's going to, the tulips will probably be well and truly over by this time the asparagus really starts. The purple's but not nearly as prolific. No, so I understand. I those those, those Fat boy or whatever it's called yeah. um, is wonderful. Yeah, yeah well, that's probably the one I need to get. So I might have to make lush. a phone call to diggers and see if I can earmark is it, some is pots. Fa- is Fat Boy one of the F1 ones? To say, are they no, it's got a cultivar name that, that uh, it's it's a it's a male plant because okay. uh, it doesn't need to produce seeds, so it doesn't mm. it has much lusher stems. It doesn't have the woodier, harder stems yes. that a female plant tends to have. And I think he actually called it fat bastard. Yeah, no, I, that, you're right, you're right. Uh, but I it's was not being polite. Actually, yeah, you were being polite. <laughs> um, uh, but it's actually not its name because I was talking to Simon one day and he said it actually has got a cultivar name. Yes, and it I can't, has. I can't remember what he called it. Yes. Um, but, um, I think in their catalogue they do list the cultivar name as well oh, they sometimes. Might do. Yeah. yeah, they might do. Yeah. But I think that's probably the one I should try and source because if I'm going to replant a new asparagus bed, I might as well get a, a 
superior. It's a good one. It's yeah, really a superior is a good clone. one. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it is an F1. It is an F1, is Absolutely. it? Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. All right. Well, there you so, go. Oh, is and it? And it is. It's fat. It's fat bastard. I, they haven't actually got a cult of our name. Oh. So. Oh, haven't they? Yeah. Uh, well, I'm sure Simon said there was one. But anyhow. Yeah. Um, but yes, yeah, so I might have to get in touch with them down at Diggers and see if I can earmark a batch of them so that I can mm. have them for the, for the. Late autumn to um, mm. to plant into my because the problem is if you're going to put the tulips in you, uh, with the rhubarb bed I planted down amongst the crowns I just sort of dug down and mm. got in amongst the crowns mm. and planted them uh, with the asparagus because I'm doing a new bed it will be easier to get the tulips in yeah. first and then yep. then pop my young asparagus plants in amongst them mm. so that's the yep. sort of plan yes exactly uh, and if I'm clever and I end up with a really good tulip that goes on for years I won't have to disturb anything for quite a long time. And I do find, although you're watering your vegetables during the summer, there's enough root system there that it keeps the tulips reasonably dry, so you don't seem to get the tulips rotting off. Um, so, yeah, so that's my plan, is to have a crack at an asparagus and tulip combination at some stage. Okay. Uh, but it's no, always got to be fine. some sort of perennial vegetable or edible plant that has a good winter dormancy so that the yeah. tulips can get up and do their the thing things, yeah. uh, before yep. it all happens. But I did send some photos to Rachel uh, of the early efforts of the purple and, and, and rhubarb, and it did look quite nice because um, part of our plan is that she, she supplies me with tulips, but I've got to supply her with images. Uh, that's fair enough. Yeah, so that's what we're going to do. Okay. So that's the next plan. If I get a chance to do it before I go away, yep. um, I might. Okay. Otherwise, well, I suppose the tulips will last till I get back because I could still put tulips in in sort of end of May, early June. Yeah. They're one of the latest bulbs yeah. you can plant. Yes. Uh, but as long as I can still source the asparagus as well, that's going to be the interesting mm. bit. Mm. So, yeah, yeah. so that's the plan. And, that, and it did work quite well last year, and it'll be interesting to see whether the purple tulip that Rachel sent me keeps going. So we won't know, of course, until I've had another year or two of them. Uh, having said that, I don't actually mind having to replace tulips every so often because sometimes you want to change your colour anyway. Oh, yes. And so if they start really going off the flower, um, then I might well go, all right, well, I've had enough of purple in this bed. Why don't I just pull out the remnant bulbs and mm. shove them somewhere else and, um, and get some nice fresh ones with flower buds already set inside and have a, a colour break. So who knows? Okay. Now, I think you've stirred some, uh, some imagination because um, the listener who is taking out the bird of paradise, mm. has rung back and wants you to now give her a suggestion of something instead that has a bigger personality. Uh-oh. So <laughs> it's back to you. Oh, dear. <laughs> I should have just said yes. <laughs> um, oh, Gorks, it's, it's so hard. There's so many plants that you could use. Um, and I'm assuming if the bird of paradise is coming out, we're talking about... It's a, a big space. It's a biggish space. So yes. there, there should be room and for it's something. A, it's a perfect... Position if it only gets morning sun. Yeah, it, yeah. it, it, it does open up a, a whole a gamut lot of, of things yeah. you could put in. Yep. Um, do we know where our listeners from? What suburb or uh, anything? No? I can't, no, I don't think we were told that. Ah, all right. Well, we'll have to take a bit of a punt on that because it does depend on that a little bit. Um, I mean, it's it's one of those spots where uh, if you want something with a little bit of height in it, you could even look for some sort of grafted standard or weeping thing. Um, uh, Something like a weeping maple can be a stunningly beautiful plant in an easterly aspect and you can get burgundy leafed ones, green leafed ones, there's a whole range of different forms. And even in the winter when they're bare, you've got this lovely cascading branch arrangement. Mm. And because they're a deciduous plant, 
It's funny because if you have something that really hits you in the eye all year round, but it does it for the same reason, you can some, they can sometimes become somewhat uh, ho-hum. You know, if something flowers yeah. 12 months of the yeah. year, you stop looking at it after a while. You yeah. know, you sort of... Mm-hmm. No, it's there. You want but something you, that changes. Yeah, you want something that's got period. sort of a little bit of personality that changes over the over the years. So something like a um, a weeping maple could be great uh, as a, a major plant. And, and you know, if it's a decent sized spot and it's in a really prime spot in the garden, I'm quite happy to go out and spend a little bit more money on getting something mm-hmm. extra special. And so you will pay more for something like a maple. Uh, there's a plant that's not available as far as I know, but something that I'm going to hopefully propagate in due course. It's a it's a dwarf weird white mulberry uh, okay. called Ho-O, H-O-O. Um, and it makes a sort of strange vase-like shrub and its leaves are all puckered and wrinkled and crispy and, mm. and weird and it goes the most bright yellow in the autumn before it sheds. And because it's got quite short internodes, it's got this quite interesting sort of sculptural effect to it when it's bare in the winter. Uh, so it would be fantastic. I don't think you can buy it anywhere. Uh, I've got a tiny little plant that's about six inches tall in a six-inch pot, so it's going to be a while before I have it for sale. But it's got to have things with that sort of character yeah. to it. I mean, even a tree grass could look fantastic in a spot like that. You know, it's something that's really sculptural. I mean, you'll pay a lot of money to get a good big one, um, and it needs to be one that you've bought that you know has been kept in the pot for a fair while so that you're not going to have problems with it when you transplant it. Um, But the tree grasses make a fabulous sculptural element Mm. in the garden. I mean, they look like those, those... lamps (laughs) lamps <laughs> you know, <laughs> that, that you used to have back in the 60s and 70s um, so you know a really attractive um, uh, clumping bamboo uh, particularly the Himalayan weeping bamboos that come up and then arch over again would be stunning and they clump they don't run so they'd be perfectly safe and they move sort of and like about and that they rustle yeah, they rustle yes so there's something about the movement of bamboo that is something people don't think about in a garden you know we think about perfume and visual things and what have you but actual movement in a garden is something we don't often consider mm. um, so some of the bamboos could be really nice and there's some really pretty ones with fine foliage and lovely arching habit there's one called the Himalayan weeping bamboo which I think is a dreptostachium uh, and I've got one in the garden at home and it also has a white powdery effect on the stems Okay. and really fresh bright green foliage uh, and these sort of lovely arching stems mm. and it's just beautiful. So, so what about something that is maybe an edible plant as well? Well why not? So there, there are some interesting bushes and things that will produce fruit yeah. and flowers. And I mean, if you've got a really good acid soil, one of the bigger growing blueberries could be a really yeah. attractive effect yeah. because you've got pretty blossom, they you've are. got fabulous autumn foliage. Yeah. So and they are beautiful in flower. Aren't they? Oh, they are. I think blueberries and are if you a great choice. If you wanted to go slightly bigger, something like a persimmon, or would that be... Persimmons are beautiful. I love persimmon yeah. trees. Uh, I mean, they are a little bit on the larger side, but you could... I mean, if the area's got nothing above it... There's no reason why you couldn't have a little tree. And fabulous and, autumn colour. Yeah, and then you could even then underplant. So you mm. could actually have a layered effect where you've got several different plants doing different things at different times of the mm. year instead of just having a specimen. So, I mean, even if you went back to my original idea of perhaps a weeping maple, there's no reason why you couldn't have it underplanted with winter flowering cyclamens. Uh, yep. You know, so you can sort of multi-layer these things so that there's always something stimulating and interesting to look at. Mm. So I hope that gives her a few ideas. Uh, I would suggest, though, if, if somebody's really got an important spot in the garden like that and they're struggling for ideas about what to do, they really should get some photographs 
and perhaps come and see me or go and see somebody else who's a, a reasonable nurseryman, not just somebody who's flogging plants and can tell you what's on the label, uh, but somebody who's got a little bit of background information about plants. And if you've got some pictures, you can also it helps a lot because you can see the style of the house and mm. and, and the surrounds and things, and it can give it can lead you in the direction of the the ideal plant for yeah. those sort and, of jobs. And what is on either side? Is yeah, exactly. Yes. Well. Yeah. So, so you know what you're tying in with. And having dug out a, a bird of paradise plant myself many years ago. Um, the soil will be terrible. Oh, yes, it'll need a so lot of improvement. So you're going to need to do a bit of work on the yeah. soil before you put anything back mm. into and you, it. And don't rush to plant back. I mean, people think because they've created this big hole and they need to get it filled up. that they I've need got to, to do some. it instantly. Yeah, and, yeah. and really, yeah. if you spend a little bit of time, work on your ground, you've got to wait till you've sort of got the roots of the bird of paradise plant sort of more or less rotting away and out of the road. Um, otherwise, it's just going to be as hard as a rock. Mm. Um, so, yeah, spend some time, get some good manure and compost and, and stuff and dig it into the ground, get the ground well prepared. Because even if you spend six months getting the ground ready, you're going to gain time by the growth rate you'll get on the plant you put in mm. as yep. opposed to putting it in just in yes, an exactly. unprepared ground. So it's, it's sort of penny-wise and pound-foolish to try and get things in too quickly. Mm. So there we go. Good I hope that's point. Given, I hope that's given some inspiration. Yep, yep. Okay, great. All right. All right. Um, if you want to give us a call, uh, we've only got about uh, 10, 12 minutes uh, left of the program. We'd love to hear from you. That number, 94190155. That's 94190155. Um, we're also going to be um, drawing uh, those uh, books and double passes very shortly. If you would like to... Uh, Get in quick and be in the draw. Give us a call. Become a subscriber to The Gardening Show and to 3CR in, uh, in general. Um, as I mentioned, uh, costs, if you're waged, $75. If you're unwaged or concession, $35. And it's a wonderful way of showing your support to the station and to the 3CR Gardening Show. Uh, there are lots of benefits uh, from it. Um, and uh, we really do appreciate all our subscribers. They're part of our 3CR family. So uh, that number, if you'd like to jump in just before we do this, draw 94190155. And they're not paying for our wages, are they? No, they are not. (laughs) (laughs) What wages? Yes, we don't get anything out of that money, by the way. (laughs) Absolutely not. (laughs) Okay, so what else have you got? Uh, You're going away, but you... You must have other talks. Oh yeah, talks and, and, coming look, up. and look, I forgot to bring the paperwork with me. But in March we have got opera in the garden again. Oh yes. So if people want to come up for the opera in the garden thing. We're limited to a hundred people, so I would get in. I know a lot of people are already booked. Um, it's a Sunday in March, and I've got. A f- I could be wrong. I think it's the tenth, but uh, I could be wrong. Uh, but go into the Gertrude Opera website. So find your way into the website. Look for their events bit in the website. You can book through there. Uh, at $60, we have a whole range of young opera singers, often from overseas. We had the most gorgeous girl last year from Israel that had a voice like you wouldn't believe. She was just so gorgeous. Um, these are people who are not beginners, but they're not out there in the fully professional part of the opera circuit yet. They haven't picked up major gigs and things. And it's to give them uh, an opportunity to perform in public. 
Um, so we have our lawn all set up with chairs on it. Uh, we have. It is an afternoon. It's, it's an not afternoon. an evening. No, it's, it's an a, afternoon. It's, it starts at about two o'clock. Um, and we normally have six young singers and. They'll each sing an aria or something from an opera or a, a classical piece of some sort or another. Then we have another break and people can wander around the garden, chat amongst themselves, have another glass of wine. Uh, and then we go through the same situation again where each of the singers does a different piece from a, an opera or whatever. And in fact, if you're not actually an opera buff, it's still a great thing to do because one, you're not sitting there through Wagner's ring cycle. <laughs> um, yes. You're getting tastes of bits and pieces and some of it's light opera, some of it's classical opera um, and it's pieces from all over the place. There's no real thematic thing about it uh, and it's just, it's just such great fun. Uh, and if we end up with a really nice afternoon weather-wise... Uh, you know, it's just one of the best things to do. Oh, magical. Uh, and you do help these young opera singers not only by giving them a, a, a public performance, but you're supporting Gertrude Opera so that they can keep moving and going ahead and doing things. Um, and, yeah, so, yeah, consider it. Go in and have a look on the website. I think it's the 10th, but I'm not sure. Um, well, that's not too far away. It's not too far away, so you need to book reasonably soon if you're going to come and do it with us. Um, and, yeah, we have a lovely afternoon. I might even make some more asparagus. Rolls. <laughs> you better uh, get those asparagus crowns. Yeah, well, I don't think it'll be the, no, those. It'll it be will canned be. asparagus, I think. <laughs> but isn't that classical for asparagus rolls? You use canned asparagus yes, and white yes. bread. Well, yes. It's got to be soft. Yeah, it's got to be soft and squishy. Yes. Um, <laughs> and it's funny, I did that the first year we did the opera thing and everybody went, oh, asparagus rolls, how dated and what have you. Everybody loved them because yes. you know, they hadn't seen them for so They're long. They're timeless. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah and, I, and I know my dear friend Mary Bull is going to make a whole pile of tiny sausage rolls and her sausage rolls are to uh. die for. Uh, so we'll have lots of finger food and there'll be ample wine for people and all that sort of stuff. And so it, it really is. It's a, a great afternoon. Mm. So Gertrude Opera. They also trade under Opera Studio, so you might be able to go in via that way as well. Uh, and, uh, yes, I'm looking forward to it. I just lo- They nearly have me in tears, these youngsters. They, mm. you know, these, are, these are people in their early 20s who have decided on a seriously difficult uh, path in life. It's, it's a heck of a discipline. Oh, God. I mean, and, years and, of training. Yeah, and, and the chances of getting yourself into that top echelon or opera oh, yes. singers is probably pretty slim, no matter how talented you are. Yes. Uh, but they're determined young people really trying to give it a crack, and so I think this is something I can do to help them, and I, I just mm. love doing it. It's great fun. Yeah. Mm. So there you go. So that's something else that's happening, which I'd forgotten all about. Isn't that terrible? Yeah. <laughs> uh, here am I trying to promote it. Yeah. <laughs> Can I just mention that I'm doing a couple of talks at Diggers too on the first weekend in March. Oh, okay. So on, on the Saturday, the I think it's the third, um, is I'm talking about garlic at St Earth, and then on the Sunday I'm talking about garlic and pest repellent plants. Two different sessions at Heronswood. Okay. So if anyone's oh, so you're doing a bit of scooting around as well. It's a fair distance yeah. between Blackwood and Dramana. But there um, you go. So yes, yeah, so that's um, they're coming up in the first weekend of March if anyone's interested in learning more about garlic and, um, or pest repellent plants. Fantastic. Yeah. Okay. And you've been seriously working on a book. Oh, I have, yes. Karen, Very seriously Karen working on it. And I, yes, and Janice over in Tassie. And uh, it's the tomato book. And it's, um, yeah, it's with the editor at the moment and then it's going for design. But it won't be available until September, October. Um, and we'll be starting by launching it in the Botanic Gardens in Tasmania. 
Right. Because uh, we're doing it sort of in conjunction with the Royal Tasmanian Botanic Gardens and their 200th anniversary, which is this year. Oh, that works yeah. very nicely. So well, they sort of asked us to do it in okay. the first place. So, okay. Um, yeah. But, uh, and then we'll have a, probably have a Victorian launch at some mm. point, which I'll let you know once we've got that organised. Fantastic. But yes, so we're still very much in the thick of getting the writing done and getting the photographs uh, in. And, yes. But it's looking amazing. It's actually going to be 372 pages long. Okay. So it's That's a lot of tomatoes. The definitive, <laughs> the definitive book in Australia on tomatoes. <laughs> so that's what happens when you, when you decide to self-publish and you get to say what it's going to be like mm. and everybody keeps wanting to have a bit more about something because it's really important so it'll be fun it'll be interesting to see and we've got we've now got the cover um and it's that's looking fantastic i yep. bet it's got a tomato on it oh yeah just one, or just two. one or two. <laughs> actually diggers was really good because we had a uh, we were using a cover that wasn't we wasn't quite pulled back enough uh, so we needed to retake it, and I got in touch with them. And Sam Hidalgo, mm. who is um, now running the, the kitchen garden at, at Diggers, um, he allowed me to come over, and we went through, and I was able to get about 15 different heirloom tomatoes of different sizes and different colours. And they're all arranged in this amazing basket made by a friend of mine, and this is what's on the front cover. But oh, it's lovely. Tomatoes are so vibrant, and they're mm. so beautiful with the reds and the pinks and the oranges and the yellows and the greens and the purples and the you you just don't realize how fabulous they are until you have them all gathered there together i was so excited by it because you tend to get a bit bogged down in books when you're writing them and then suddenly i was handling all these fabulous tomatoes so i was very grateful to diggers and to sam for letting me have of course diggers to photograph Diggers have really promoted such a wonderful wide range of heirloom yeah. tomatoes, yeah. different colours and, and, and But the thing is sizes. it's taken off all over Australia. So there are now seed suppliers. That, um, so in the book we've got 220 different heirloom cultivars of tomatoes. Really? That, um, that's quite And that, they're available from seed suppliers in Australia. So diggers, yeah, so we're not talking about, about tomatoes overseas that we'll no, never no. ever see. No. Because uh, that's always frustrating in yeah. a book. You and you can't, a book and you can't import them. You can't bring tomato seed into Australia now because of the viroids that yeah. are all okay. over the place. The whole Solanaceae family, you should never bring even one packet of tomato mm. or eggplant or anything else in because we don't have them in Australia. So it's got really hard bringing anything new into yeah. Australia in that family. Mm. So, um, yeah, so that's what the book's going to be all about. So we're, yeah, really looking forward to that and um, it was nice to be excited about the um, about the tomatoes. Yeah, well, you, yes, you're you, spending all yeah, that time writing about them. Yeah, and, and not sort of seeing them in hand. Yeah, so it becomes yeah. sort of clinical about yes. what you're doing, and yes, yes you sort of forget you the whole purpose. You get a bit submerged in the whole thing. <laughs> yes. Oh, dear. Okay, it's time that we... Uh, when we uh, drew our um, little competition, oh, whatever you yes. want to call it... Mm-hmm. Um, Bribe to subscribe. (laughs) (laughs) That's probably closer to the point, but anyhow. It it is, but um, no, wonderful. We've um, we've got, uh, because we have um, eight uh, actual things to draw for, two books and six um, double passes to Tesla, I've got um, eight pieces of paper here, which Jan has very kindly prepared. These are all people that have rung in this morning and subscribed. And uh, it's going to be up to you two, between Uh you, one each at a time. 
and uh, and that's the two books. That will those first two will be the, the two books. books. Okay, yeah. so okay. Stephen, read me out yours. Elizabeth Reed. Okay, Elizabeth, you have got one of the uh, books. Congratulations. So do you want to nominate which one it is so um, we don't fight about them? Yes, I, th- I think it might be best <laughs> if I do. Um, Elizabeth, I'm going to send you Holly Kerr Forsyth's Remembered Gardens, a really wonderful book. So um, hope you enjoy that. So Penny? this is an Elizabeth Day, obviously, because the second um, winner is Elizabeth uh, Bronchinetti. Okay. Oh, me. Two Elizabeths. Two Elizabeths. And, well, and she's got the organic. She's gardening got the one. organic gardening, uh, the elements of organic gardening by uh, the Prince of Wales. So there you go. Um, wonderful. There are two books. Now we have um, some more for the Tesla's uh, double passes. Right. All right. Well, okay. I've got Ron Higgins. He's one. And I've got Philippa Ward- Wardley or Wordley. Right. So they each get uh, a double pass to Tessalas. Um, two more. Who have I got here? Uh, Marnie Leonard. I think it's Leonard. Okay. Okay. And this is Lee. I'm not sure what that actually says. Mm. You, 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 uh, yeah. We're not sure. So we're just asking. Who the person who wrote it? Because yeah. I can't read the surname. Clinch. Oh, Clinch. Clinch. So Lee Clinch has got a double pass to Tesla's. Okay. And, and two, two more. more. I'll have that one. And I'll have this one. Joe Matthews. And Marion Adarak, I think. Okay. All right. Okay. So anyway, we've got the bits of paper and we've got everybody's addresses. So even if we've mispronounced your name, you will still get your prize. So congratulations to all those people. I will be sending all of those out in the mail to you. Thank you so much for subscribing for the next 12 months to uh, to 3CR. We really, really appreciate your support. Um, goodness me, I really haven't got time to take um, Jill in Malvern. I really haven't got time to take your call. Can you ring in next Sunday? We'd, um, we'd love that, uh, but we'll catch up with you then. Time's gone, it's everybody. Yep. It has really disappeared. I'm afraid we have to go. A huge thank you to, uh, to Jan and Robin, who've been handling uh, all the phone calls this morning. But, of course, we'll be back uh, next week at 7.30. Until then, bye for now. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.